Uninvisible is a support podcast that provides information, ideas, suggestions, and experiences that deal squarely with medical issues that present unique advocacy issues for individuals. We do not provide medical advice of any kind. We do provide support, concepts, ideas, discussions, and information you can use to make sure that you are being heard and that your concerns are being addressed. Please consult with your physician for any medical issue that you are facing, but we will be here for you along your journey. We welcome all comments about our episodes and, of course, the correction of any errors. Information and comments that you send to us are governed by our Terms of Service and Privacy Policy, which are available on our website, located at www.uninvisiblepod.com. The opinions expressed by guests are their own and are not necessarily the opinion of Uninvisible or the show sponsors. Most of all, we welcome your stories and experiences to share with our community, because without you, this community and the benefit it offers all of us would not exist. Any advertising that you may hear is accepted without regard to our editorial content. Of course, in the event that you are having a medical emergency of any kind, consult your physician or emergency services. Welcome to Uninvisible. I'm your host, Lauren Friedman, and I'm here with my guests to bring you info, insights, and inspiration for coping with, diagnosing, and treating invisible illness. We're here oversharing, so you don't have to struggle with invisibility anymore. All right, guys, thanks so much for joining us. I'm here today with Dr. Kent Holtorf, who is the medical director and founder of the Holtorf Medical Group in El Segundo, but there are five centers in the U.S. and worldwide now, which is super exciting. Um, He's also a fellowship lecturer for the American Board of Anti-Aging Medicine um, and the endocrinology expert for AOL Health. And he's been on a lot of TV and radio uh, thus far, including CNBC, ABC News, CNN, Discovery Health. um, And he's agreed to be on our show, which is (laughs) really exciting. And I was actually just telling him this is the first interview I've done where I'm nervous because he's one of my heroes. I actually see a doctor in his practice um, and she's helped me turn my life around. So Dr. Thanks for joining us. Well, thank you for yeah. for being here, and no, and thank my you for pleasure. the invite and for the kind introduction. Oh my God, of course! It's like, <laughs> oh my, oh my gosh! So, uh, yeah. should no. you be intimidated by your own <laughs> your own resume? Right. I don't know if I should be here now. No. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm so happy to have you here. Um, so, you're on the show sort of for two reasons today, which is really exciting. Um, you are both a survivor of chronic illness and a practitioner. Um, so I'm wondering if it's a chicken-egg situation here. Did you know that you were chronically ill when you were in medical school, or did all of this sort of happen at different times? Yeah, I think, well, it started when I was young, which, of course, you, you don't know. But it's interesting mm. how a lot of doctors, like myself, and so-called, I don't know what, to, like, at, like, a party, whatever. So what kind of doctor are you? I just, I kind of, well, I don't like alternative, but not alternative, because mm. I think there's there's no evidence to it integrative isn't good functional I don't like that mm. all times i'll say i'm a quack just leave it at that you know <laughs> well certainly uh, there's been controversy around some of the, yeah. the the treatments that you are a proponent of right yeah um, and it's and uh and but so most doctors i think that do this they've had either themselves mm-hmm. that got sick or a family member and they realize that hey, standard medicine doesn't have the answers and that's yeah. what i was so i you know growing up i didn't i 
function very well and, and no issues. I had you know tough time getting up, but would have like my arm would stop working, would have like shooting yeah. pains. One pupil was bigger than the other, which you know is usually they look nerd. they look the same now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, so that got even worse. So they're like, hey, what's what's going on? But they couldn't find me. I was fine. Mm. And then going through you know college, I was okay. You know, kind of more fatigued than everyone else. Yeah. And uh, and then through medical school and residency, I'm like, hey, something's wrong. Yeah. And they're like, oh, okay. You know, you go to the university doctors. Like, oh yeah, you're just depressed and stressed. I'm like, oh, no, yeah, no, I'm not really. You know, I it's think like, a lot of us have heard that answer yeah, before. So it, exactly, <laughs> and. Um, and and so basically, going through that, not getting anywhere, I'm like something's really wrong. Yeah. And but I would not consider anything so-called alternative, very evidence-based. I still very much am. That hasn't mm-hmm. that hasn't changed. But it's ingrained in medical school residency that all these other doctors don't even listen. They're quacks. It doesn't matter how many studies you give doctors now. Right. It's like nope, nope. Nope, I don't need to read that stuff. Well, until a, a larger organization says this is the standard, people and, aren't willing to accept it. And right? still, it even like, you know, the whole Lyme thing, yeah. where you got Infectious Society of America still doesn't believe it, despite thousands of papers and research and mm-hmm. uh, clearinghouse for guidelines. Mm-hmm. So there was the ILADS, you know, which okay. is so called alternative, and mm-hmm. the Infectious Society of America's guidelines for Lyme. They took down infectious disease societies down because it wasn't evidence-based, mm. and it wasn't. And you look at all these guidelines that these doctors go by for any society, they found that, and I've written papers on what is evidence-based, they found that societal guidelines are worse than anecdotal studies. Mm. I mean, in anecdotal cases. Right. Where, and they go, oh, this is this is dogma. They don't change for 20 years. Yeah. They don't consider any anything that deviates from what the way they think it is kind of like the TSH yeah and we that, were talking about that before with and, thyroid yeah and you also published a number of review articles hundreds of references showing that the TSH will only work for someone who's very healthy and not sick right. and otherwise but yeah so kind of deviated here but yeah so started uh, you know in residency especially or medical school I'm like I don't know what I'm going to do. I was too tired to talk to a patient. Wow. So I'm like... Which, and I, I imagine, like, there are a lot of people in medical school who are extremely tired. You're really yeah. good through your paces, but you were very it's different. it was different. It's yeah. different. And I'm like, what's wrong with my memory? I'm getting mm. this achiness, anxiety. I've never been anxious before. Yeah. Can't sleep. And I'm like, well, what are my choices? I'm like, it was just so exhausting for me to sit down and talk to a patient. Yeah. Just when I jump out of my skin. I uh, went into anesthesia. Because hey, they're asleep. You don't. You don't have to talk to them. Yeah, right? that's fair enough. But and then so still, but very much struggling. And yet I get up mm-hmm. early and go. And so I, then I started. You know, I'm, let me look at this so-called alternative. And I went to the so-called alternative conferences and just went to everything I could. I'm like, oh my god, they are more evidence-based than what yeah. they're teaching us in residency medical school. It was just unbelievable. I'm just like, oh my gosh. And then so started, you know, basically with, you know, fixing, optimizing all my hormones, which are so-called normal. Mm-hmm. But after you learn that, hey, normal is, doesn't mean optimal any means. It doesn't mean right. it's not causing your symptom. And everyone's normal is different. Yeah. Uh, oh, it's so true. And then also with chronic infections, and I got myself feeling, hey, I'm functioning pretty damn well here. And I'm mm-hmm. like... What am I doing in anesthesia? I hate this. It's <laughs> now I most... want to talk to patients. <laughs> yeah. yeah. 
And I'm like, no, nothing against the NSC. Oh, no, you know, yeah. but it's like, it's the most mindless specialty mm. ever, you know. But, and then so basically opened up, um, you know, a center where treated people like myself. And I couldn't believe how many people like myself were, were out there. Yeah. And everyone's, you know, been to, we published our um, data. Mm. Um, and you know, we ended up opening 22 centers across the country. Oh my and, gosh. and we published our data and showed that patients at that time, on average, saw 7.2 physicians without, without any improvement. Mm. By the fourth visit, you know, it was like 70% uh, significantly better. Mm. But, um, and then. Those are crazy stats, by the way. Like, just to pause and say that someone would have to see. On average, seven and a oh, half physicians. Now we're more at like it's twelve to fourteen physicians. I'm not surprised. It's almost it's just like marketing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's just to me that's because I probably saw that many doctors before I ended up at Holtorf, and yeah, it's crazy to me. Yeah, I mean, care is just getting worse. It's so segmented, and yeah. doctors. And, and the thing is, we talk about you know doctors not caring. And I do think in general, they're the least empathetic and caring group that I've ever seen Mm. in the way that they treat patients. But you say, okay, why wouldn't they want to help this patient? They do, but there a couple things work work against it. Human nature, uh, or even though let's let's look at the business model first, is they don't get any more money for diagnosing all these things and spending time. Look at, they want their eight minutes and then, you know, 15 minutes with charting out we'll give you some antidepressant we'll give you a statin and that's it's a volume game and that's also tied into pharmaceuticals and oh, pharmaceutical and industry, the pharmaceutical kind of so corrupt and kickbacks and yeah it's just it's disgusting and then so they have a vested interest not you know you can't show oh, here's about Lyme or we'd have you know some doctors would call when we let's say we get a patient better and they go one they're very they like their primary care or endocrine whatever it is and they go back and go, oh, I'm going to tell them that went great. And I'm like, don't do it, you know. Mm. And it was freaking me out at first, you know, 10, 15 years ago. The doctor would go, no, it's placebo. That's quackery. Yeah. Uh, you can't come back to my practice. I'm like, are you kidding me? The doctors would literally yeah. kick their patients yeah. out? They don't want to hear it. But wow. Yeah. Well, because I guess it puts them out of a job. <laughs> yeah. And they don't because and we found the least a doctor, the less a doctor knows the more adamant they are, they're right, too. Mm. So now let's say they go and they go to all these, uh, you know, new lectures and conferences, and they learn this about Lyme, you know, and this was the one guy called, one guy who did call and says, oh, what do you do with her? It was like basically a thyroid patient. And I said, mm. oh, you just do this. Well, well, how do you test? Well, this is all you do. And he's like, all of a sudden silence. I'm like, what's wrong? Mm. He's like, I can't spend 20 minutes with a patient. Mm. You know, I mean, so the whole model, especially you take like a Lyme or some chronic illness that... It's not going to help them. It's going to make their life worse. Now they're going to be stressed, yeah. you know, and say, I know this, that I should be able to help this person. I can't. I'm a bad person. Mm. So I think, and then it's you know, ego and, 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 and huge ego where it's kind of like, hey, it's better. I don't believe in that disease. Right. I don't want to believe in it. And, and so, if you can't see it, does it exist? Yeah. You know? Yeah. And the thing is, all this thing, invisibility, it's crazy there's so few invisible diseases it's people that don't want to look yeah you know and won't take the time yeah and it's and you know they, they get bonus on so hmos bonus on the least they do you know oh, the less wow. they do they get bonus in the year mm. there's so many incentives for bad care and if you're a caring physician and i don't want to disparage all physicians at all there are many caring ones and they're working mm. in a tough system but it's you find is the ones that care the least make the most. Right. 
you know. Well, because they treat it more like a business. Yeah, where like volume, get them care. out, get them out. Yeah, you know, so, absolutely. Yeah. So did you find that you were able to use some of these quote-unquote alternative therapies yeah. to get well? Yeah, so I basically was doing fine mm. and then went through a very stressful divorce. And, mm. it, and it's interesting with this whole stress connection and stress is devastating to like these chronic infections. And that's where it kind of gets, it's, you know, usually most often women, but it can be both where, Oh, I got, went through a divorce. My mom died. A child was sick and they get sick. See, it's just all psychological. Right. But, and then I was very easy to write people off as hysterics and hypochondriacs. It's not, it's not the doctor's fault. It's the patient's fault. And so we had the 22 centers, five mountain fatigue centers. And then, um, and then all of a sudden, I couldn't get out of bed. It was just like, just night sweats, just terrible anxiety, uh, you know, for for months. And then mm-hmm. I'm like, wow, so this is this is tough, not able, barely able to make it to, to work. And being a busy entrepreneur at this yeah. point as well. Yeah. And I'm like, I know I got Lyme. I don't want to test it, <laughs> you know. Yeah. But my blood was so thick, you couldn't pull it out. What? So it took months to get my blood thin enough to even wow. do a test. But yeah, so tested positive and then just said, okay, you know, we were treating Lyme disease and chronic fatigue syndrome, fibromyalgia, but kind of before there wasn't any Lyme. So right. I was right on that cusp. And so it's kind of like, okay, what's the treatment? Um, you know, the standard so-called alternative is high-dose antibiotics. Right. And so I did, you know, with like the, um, you know, poor, like I read the Horowitz big, gun just you know more and more he's a great yeah. physician all right and just but we find for a lot of people that doesn't work well and it can destroy your gut microbiome oh, and get and, you sicker yeah i mean i did four and a half years of the highest dose oh antibiotic five six i would never give a patient i mean it was that how are you and, even standing after oh, doing antibiotics yeah that long? and uh and then i would stop for two weeks and be just same it was before right so really kind of went around the world looking for new therapies, just reading as many journals as I can. Mm. Um, and then I went into heart failure. And I remember just like, you know, going to New York for, I heard about a new treatment and just trying to, you know, get on the plane. And I'm just, I can't stand. Mm. So I got to like walk over. I'm in a crowded subway and going to the plane, like with my head bent over, walking two miles an hour, sweating. Yeah. And I'm surprised I didn't get beat up or just be you know well, and it's and, being old before your time that's oh, how it feels it's isn't it? it's terrible you, you feel think, like you're possessed in yeah. your body and then yeah. i got in the plane and i'm like i'm gonna die on this plane mm-hmm. but then i just felt too sick i said i'm done you know yeah. and uh and that's you know how bad but then so you know went to a lot of treatments many treatments uh work very well mm. um a lot of an intensive things and i still love you know Ozone's awesome. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, you know, LDA. I mean, there's just so many things. And antibiotics have, to have their place. Right. Um, but, and then what really found, what really helped me, and we're finding it, it's just to become the key to our practice, is we were kind of like this with the fibromyalgia fatigue centers, but really looking at the immune system and working on the immune system. Mm. And if you don't fix the immune system, you won't get rid of the infection. Right. You know, so it's like, well, if you kill the infection, well, the immune system will get better. We use it's last to come back. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if, if you're, I don't know if one's on radio here, but see, at this level of infection, your immune system is below it. Right. It's never going to eradicate it. So you got to get your immune system up so you have a chance. Antibiotics won't kill anything enough 
yeah. to just take over. And they'll so, deplete your immune system anyway. Yeah. yeah. And and then so started, but then really found, um, you know, stem cells and peptides just yeah. kind of changed my life. And I was um, flying to uh, Europe to get peptides for myself. Oh, and, wow. Um, yeah, before they were widely, well, yeah. more widely available. Yeah. yeah. Mm. And then... And then now the other more available, you know, problem is price. And, yeah. Well, the, and they're rarely covered by insurance, so yeah, you have to go to. They don't even know what know what they are. No. And so yeah, so you know, with with a lot of know you know how well, much everyone knows about peptides, but there's so many that just do so many things. Yeah. And to bring the cost down, I guess it's okay. Do a little plug here. With yeah. You know, <laughs> that um, so we brought the body protection compound 157 VPC 157. I'm on that. I oh. take that orally and I inject it every day. Nice, nice. Yeah. yeah. And so you know, before six hundred dollars a month. So mm-hmm. we brought it out as a supplement. You know, same strength, same potency. That would cost you know six hundred dollars in a lot of compounding pharmacies and bro supplements. So it's. Uh, like one forty five. Yeah. yeah. And, so because uh, you were buying it in bulk, you were able to bring yeah, the price down. Yeah. Yeah. And attracting and, enough clientele as yeah. well. And a lot of legal things to, mm-hmm. to do it, you know, so it's always very costly to get that going. But right. we're very happy with that. We're gonna be putting other ones in uh we're talking to uh major pharmaceutical companies that were licensing some of the things for making oral bio more bioavailable. Right. So a lot, a lot of neat things going on with it's called integrated peptides. So yeah. uh, some other ones that are they're coming out as well. That's really and exciting. Yeah, and it's just helped so many people. And, and you seem to be like almost entirely in remission from your Lyme symptoms. I never say that. No, yeah, I don't yeah. jinx it. But no, I'll, I'll have some bad days now and then. But I, yeah. my whole life, I could never get up before noon. You and me I both. Mean, yeah. <laughs> and now, well, I took girlfriend's kids to school at eight, yeah. and I've been getting up early. I'm like, you know, before it was like you're driving at 9 a.m. going, what are these people doing up at this time of morning? I, know, you know? I don't know how people function. Like, and that's been my thing for the longest yeah. time. I've just been like, I'm a zombie until noon. Yeah. So I don't know how people do it. But Yeah. I used to dread going to sleep because mm-hmm. I knew I'd just lay there and then you get more anxious and then you can't yeah. wake up. And you know, the problem is with, with that, even when I was functional but I couldn't sleep and you know, when you're on a different time with the rest of the world, no one thinks you're doing anything. Right. You know, they get all the emails at five, you know, six in the morning. But yeah. uh, and they're like, oh, you're up early. No, I haven't gone to bed yet. Yeah. You know? But so that's that's change. And that's just really a nice bonus, mm. you know. Yeah. And another thing that goes with this, you know, kind of Lyme and Babesia and Bartonella is the anxiety that it's, you know, when you're, when you're sick, that's bad enough. You had anxiety that, and so many patients have it, mm. and add pain to that. Yeah. And you know, all these new look. There's an opiate problem, but look, you're, you're these patients. You know, a lot of alternatives that we're we're using. Mm. You know, we like IV ketamine, and I mean, there's so many things that you can use. But I mean, the standard thing you go to pain doctor, bunch of narcotics which aren't great, mm. although some people and highly need addictive. Them. Yeah, and stuff like. Um, you know the stuff of seizure medications and Lyrica, and you look at the you look at the studies how those got approved. You mm. can't believe the tiny tiny difference on a graph, the difference between placebo and effect yeah. with those things. And everyone gains weight, they can't think, and and they got them approved because they did ten thousand people studies. You well, know? and then they had funding, and they yeah they gave money to the right people and had the right That's kind of true. interest and yeah. 
It's just all in people's pockets. And, and you look at, like, with the FDA, the approval committee, oftentimes 80% will have a vested interest in that drug. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, I mean, it's interesting because I feel like that's something that we're not talking about enough. You know, the involvement of of big pharma and big money um, and sort of where that's all coming from. And, and yeah. when you go to a standard Western doctor, right, who says, well, we'll give you the antibiotics or we'll give you Lyrica or whatever, um, as opposed to um, the kind of treatments and even testing that you guys do here at Holtorf Medical, um, you know, which are still considered, like frustratingly still considered yeah. sort of on the outside of what's what's considered normal, you yeah. know? Um, yeah. And yet someone like me with a thyroid disorder and sleep disorders, I've had more relief using these uh, protocols, um, you know, and, and so many people I know who are coming here now. It's like people keep coming out of the woodwork saying to me, oh, yeah, I'm going to see a doctor at Holtorf Medical. And I go, oh, you go there too, you know. Yeah. Um, so I think certainly for Los Angeles, you guys are the, the place that people are coming well, for well, those therapies. Well, the, thank you for that. Yeah. And, and it's scary because you look at the cost of medications, like old medications mm. that were pennies now. And you're like, IVIG, great, great mm-hmm. treatment. It just every month it, it goes up. Right. You know, and and things. So I've written a lot of papers on you know healthcare reform and mm. and people you know kind of want the one payer system and right. cover everyone. I think you should cover everyone, but we're believe it or not, we are the least free market uh, healthcare system in the world. Like mm. all these ones that we call socialist and oh look at the great care well, they're getting. All these labels are not helpful. Yeah, <laughs> and and you know. Uh, basically are much have much more free market you have no choice you have no way to negotiate it's, well when there's know, all the that insurance. money behind something yeah yeah and and you look at or even so i was looking at um article in the uk mm. and they don't use you know cytomel they don't use t3 mm. and but i didn't know the big reason was that it costs so much there it was six cents a pill and then now it's like 250 dollars a month and that's down to these pharmaceutical companies yeah and then so uh two other companies came in they said competition but they came in at the same price and it's just a cheap it's just so greedy so you know it's the problem is big pharma rules the world you know yeah how do how do you see reform in healthcare? like how do you see the system changing what can we do to make these medications more accessible to people here yeah. and make these treatments more acceptable and accessible. I read a lot of articles on, on this and uh, sent it to, you know, basically a lot of senators and they've got one back from um, Paul Ryan mm. and basically can't call me said, yeah, right. This will never work. There's too many people uh, basically, you know, slurping from the trough. Right. So, so who, who's going to basically, you know, change it? And everyone's yeah. just kickbacks, and you look at the whole pharmaceutical system. Everyone's just making money down the line, yeah. And and so it, it doesn't change. So really, it's like, and you look at what's the worst, most inefficient model is insurance, mm. where you don't have any say. It's like, oh, is this covered or is it not? You know, but without it, you don't have. We don't have free market choice, right? It's like. Well, yeah, if you have insurance, that's that much. But why is it 10 times retail price if I buy it with cash? Right. Which is crazy. It should be the opposite. Mm. So there's so many forces that make it just 
economically upside down. Right. So you can see why people are all confused with health care. And, oh, yeah, and, and, and even what their rights are as patients. I mean, yeah. That's something that comes up a lot on our show because I have patients and practitioners on, and and the realization that you can fight for your rights as a patient is a huge one to so yeah. many people because we just yeah. assume that we're going to get treated kind of crappy, you know? Yeah. Um, and, but it's interesting, and I think and I think you're doing such a great service because yeah. it's scary for people to go outside of what, you know, they go to their standard doctor and, mm. well, he's considered really good, and he says, I have nothing. And then they kind of, they want to know that they have they want to don't have one of anything. I don't blame them. Yeah. But okay, why am I sick? And then they go to let's say so called integrative alternative, whatever you want. And they go, oh, you've got chronic Lyme or whatever. And then some people just, no, 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 I'm not accepting that. I'm not accepting right. that. You know. Well, there's so, a fear, and and yeah, the fear like, factor like, yeah. is really potent, isn't it? And that then adds to the stress, and then you get sicker because of it, and and that's where your mindset being involved with your, yeah. your physiology is so important, isn't it? Yeah. And I, I think also, I mean, one of the things that we talk about a lot with the guests on the show is also the relief of a diagnosis, that there's a relief in knowing so that much. you have something and that you can put a name on it so that you can actually target your treatment. Yeah. Um, so I think not being able to put a name on something, and even with something like Lyme disease where, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but my understanding is that sort of the, I don't know if it's the CDC or whatever larger organization, um, actually doesn't even believe in the term chronic Lyme. No. That it can't be That's chronic. That's the thing. Infectious disease says there's no proof. Like, are you Are kidding? you kidding me? It, it's just... Like, you're living like, proof. Like, and you basically go to these, you know, conferences present study after study. Yeah. And, uh, and yeah, so we had a, a basically a, a immunofluorescing microscope, which would have well, no false positive because it's very specific. And mm. we look at people's blood and we lost our text. We're looking for a new one. But, mm. and you're like, oh my God, look at this. And it's like just textbook. Like, because mm. one person had Babesia. Yeah. And it was just, you couldn't And believe. these are like the co infections of life yeah. for people who don't it, understand. Exactly. It's so it's like a parasite. It's kind of like malaria. Mm-hmm. And then, so she goes, okay. And then she ended up doing huge doses of all the anti-malarial and then we checked it again there were even more mm-hmm. you know so it's like this whole standard treatment they go oh no especially with you know infectious side america says well there's really no chronic lyme if you catch it early then you know three weeks of doxycycline you're fine no guys you look at the studies 80 percent will relapse on yeah. that so why is that standard yeah and then they say oh it's not chronic lyme it's post and you know post lyme syndrome the irony as well though is that it would benefit these pharmaceutical companies for people to stay sick right you know they're keeping people sick because the medications aren't working but then they're denying them even any kind of of proof that they that they still have something going on they're they're just saying well no you're cured and that's it's never as simple as that and it's like the you know the powers to be and you Mm. know it's very lots of you know money and of course and egos even yeah and uh and it's kind of like these big societies and what what i find is let's say you have a major society whether it's the you know endocrine society whoever then other groups come up with all this evidence Mm. no 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 and then at some point do you think they would go Okay, you're right. We were wrong. No, they're just like la 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 la. You yeah. Know, don't like don't. <laughs> Doctor Holzer just covered yeah. his ears. La yeah. la 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 la. <laughs> it's like don't confuse me with the facts. Yeah. You know, I've made up my mind, and yeah. 
And it's very frustrating. And I think it's also, I mean, from a a patient perspective outside of the medical system, right? You know, we're then told that there are some doctors who are quacks and that there are some doctors who are legitimate, but it's really up to you to do your own research. And we're not necessarily empowered with the tools to do that when we have large organizations like the Infectious Disease Society and the CDC telling us things that aren't necessarily helping people who are experiencing chronic invisible illness. Yeah, it's like... It's so frustrating. I I can't read someone. I just go, are you kidding me? Just just ignoring. And two, like, let's say... You get some open-minded doctors, and they're working in the hospital, but they go... And there are some, for sure. Yeah. There are. And, but I show you the system is that if they were to treat thyroid like we do mm. or Lyme, they would be run out of their peer group. Yeah. Oh, you're doing that. And I've had, for instance, wait, um, uh, this one patient, we terrible dreams. I gave him just a little touch of cortisol and mm. like he was on a number of other things, but he goes, oh my gosh, I feel so much better from this. And so I went back to his endocrinologist to show him. And I yeah. published a study on HPA axis dysfunction and chronic fatigue syndrome fibromyalgia mm. and showed that, you know, 80% are low and do you, so stim low in test, cortisol. low in cortisol. And, um, and basically the stim tests are just unreliable and all this. Mm. And he goes, I'm on this. And the guy, and he handed him the paper. It wasn't published yet. Right. So, and he looks at it, he goes, that's a terrible paper. And he goes, why do you say that? He goes, oh, I read it. He goes, don't you have it? Because it makes me wrong. And <laughs> it, no, he didn't, he didn't read it. And he basically said, and, oh, he goes, well, you haven't read it. Because it I just gave mm. the patients a copy before it was published. And and he goes, no, you haven't read it because it's not out. So he took the paper, threw it in the trash, says, I don't need to read it. And I've had that story with other, like, like bioidentical hormones yeah. being safer. Uh, this OB said the same thing. A, a friend of mine was kind of was a uh, patient and said, well, well, what do you think of this? Very yeah. nice. And she goes, that's quackery. Well, here's the, here's a review article, you know, with 300 references. And she goes, <laughs> I don't need to read it. Well, and this is the thing about early adopters, too, right? Um, I mean, even Steve Jobs was laughed out of places when he first came up with Apple computers. So, And now everyone's using them, you know? And I I think that there's something to um, the concept of of saying, well, look, if this thing is working for me, even if it's the placebo effect, you know? But if it's working for you, and if you go somewhere and you, you get an alternative therapy to the one that you may have previously been on or using... Um, and it starts working for you in a way that your previous ones didn't, then what can you argue with? And and we find that, you know, patients who are chronically ill, placebo doesn't work on them. Yeah. It's more of a nocebo in that they're more likely to say, this is not going to work. I don't want to mm. try it. So they don't get a benefit. That's more likely they're going to get like, wait, I don't feel as good, you know. Right. So it's, it's interesting rather than, you know, you give some healthier person, some big, big red pill is called happy pill. Yeah, (laughs) I am happy, you know? So, and what about, I mean, one of the things I wanted to ask you as well is that you've got a compounding pharmacy here. And I I know that I had an experience with an endocrinologist at one point when I had just started coming here um, and was sort of like between different practitioners um, who was so against the idea of a compounding pharmacy. Um, And, I know that there has been controversy about, you know, do you go to a regular pharmacy? Do you go to a compounding pharmacy? But at the end of the day, medications are medications. Yeah. And I think it's it's the the bodies that, that sort of judge whether these medications are clean or whatever. But, I mean, you're yeah. running a, 
a yeah. medical group with a compounding pharmacy here. I've been on the medications and then they've changed me. Yeah. So I just, yeah. I wonder what your take and, is on that. Well, debate. I mean, they're highly regulated and, yeah. and they push us where we really have to do everything the pharmaceutical companies do. Right. And especially in terms of sterility, although we don't do sterile compounding. Okay. okay? What does and, that mean? Oh, uh, injectable. Right. So we get that from other people. We don't do that. We didn't. You don't okay, make yeah. them here. Yeah. So right. we, but we do the oral, like let's say thyroid. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we'll use, we can do any ratio of T4 to T3. We can do time release T3, which mm-hmm. you can't get time release T3. You know, you can get cytomel, okay, take it four times a day or, you know, mm-hmm. some would take it less and it, and it works. But there's so many things that we can do and it just it is so much more efficacious. Yeah. We, yeah. We'd look. Then we say, okay, let's change this ratio, and you know, yeah. and there's there's natural desiccated thyroid and, and and that which you know just gets pounded by um, you know the endocrine society and all these right. things. And well, you look at you know makers of synthroid are the biggest. They're basically funding every conference, mm. and and it is better. But we find, and that works great for a lot of people. But the sicker the patient, generally, the more T three they need. Yep. And and then you'll hear these studies on. Oh, it's dangerous, and it, it, the studies don't yeah. show that at all. And like they they showed heart patients coming out of surgery, they gave them IV T three. Right. Okay. Yeah. Less AFib, less less arrhythmias. They did much wow. better. I mean, and that you know, it's just the studies never don't show any danger. People go, yeah. she's hyperthyroid. You know. Like you just have to follow the that, money trail to yeah. find the answer. Right? Her TSH is suppressed. You're, oh, my God, your heart's going to blow up, and you're going to get osteoporosis. And, and, okay, so you're saying she's hyperthyroid. Her pulse is 52. Her body temp, you know, mm. is 96. She can't get out of bed. And, no, yeah. you know, how is that, you know, where you think hyperthyroid is, by definition, hypermetabolic. Like, mm. you know, just weight coming off, sweating, and, like, they're the opposite. Yeah. And we have all these other tests that we show. No, look here. Proves she's not. Like, well, even, mm. you know, I like the sex hormone binding globulin test. It tells you the amount of, it goes up in response to two main things, the amount of estrogen, the amount of thyroid in the liver. Mm. So if you have someone who looks like they have normal estrogen, yeah. like a normal menstruating woman, and they have SHBG below 80, mm. they're likely low thyroid. And then especially if you're on oral thyroid, which goes through the liver first pass, so it should be the highest in the liver, okay. that if it's not in a normal range, they yeah. probably need thyroid. So that's looking at a tissue level. That's just one test. But we like to do a lot of tests to really paint Look a picture. Deep. Yeah. Because I, I feel part of our job is to convince the patient, too. Yeah, yeah and, because a lot of us, I mean, when I first came in here, I was like, I don't, I don't know which way is up, you know, and I don't know who to trust at this point. I'd been to so many doctors yeah, yeah. and this was a, a really new, almost an experiment for me, you know, yeah, like, yeah. um, so yeah, I mean, I, I think that makes sense that you, and, you and so that, we yeah. do that because we know they're going to go to another doctor. He's going to say, oh, it's dangerous. Well, right. we, so our job is explain this is why they're going to say that. Right. This is what, you know, the standard is. And these are the risks and you know, these are, are the benefits. Mm. And um, to provide patient education, which very yeah, few yeah. practitioners do. And people, do. you know, hear from their friends and they, you know, so it's, I think, a very, very important part is to have the patient. So there, and that's why you really need to play an active role. Right. And it's very hard to do that. It's so much easier to just, I just trust my doctor. Well, how's, yeah. you know, I get, I get people that, you know, 
whatever cocktail parties and they come up and they go i'm just feeling horrible mm. and then and then you start saying a few things oh my no my doctor says my thyroid's fine my doctor okay they've well, only well, tested one number yeah they're they? like well how's that working for you yeah you know and they just discount everything you say i'm like okay you know yeah. well, I, I don't let well it's cultural anyone. isn't it you know this this doctor as god you know concept um, and that comes up a lot in my interviews as well. You and know? That, that's totally changed. And if, if you, like, we encourage, like, read everything you can on, on the yeah. Internet. Just bring us everything. Well, we're I'm sure we're, we can answer and explain why. No, I can't believe, I believe this part, but this study shows this. If a doctor won't let you ask questions and, mm. you know, depends how you put it, you know, challenge them or say, look, other people are saying this. Let's grab the doctor here. Who, who do you think you are? Yeah. Run from that doctor if it shows they can't defend their treatments Mm, yeah well i mean that was something i was going to ask you as well because so many of us in the chronic illness world you know we go from specialist to specialist and we bounce around so much and we have limited periods of time with so many of them and you know partially that's because of the system and the way it's structured um but when patients come to you here at holtorf medical um, what's the difference in, in the level of care that you give them, you know, in terms of bedside manner and in terms of the amount of time that you spend with them? How have you been able to structure that differently yeah. um, as an antidote to the system? Yeah. And and that's the problem that's getting worse is that the primary care now kind of won't do anything. Mm-hmm. They'll just say, oh, go, oh, you have this abnormal. The, the TSH is 15, like, oh, go to the endocrinologist, you know, it's just right. like, and no common sense, and I'll, I'll kind of answer the question, but also yeah. we find that, you know, we've hired so many doctors, and we're finding more and more mm. doctors just are be taught to memorize. Yeah. They don't understand systems, and you, you can't believe it. So they want the algorithm for the Lyme patient. You're like, okay, what's the protocol? There is no protocol. Everyone's different. And it drives that's them crazy. That's really important. I, yeah. I think that's a really important thing to hear from a practitioner, that everyone is individual, because I think that's part of the problem right that so many of us are not treated like individuals we're treated like well here's the lump sum of how you treat this particular thing and that treatment may not work for this person yeah or they say well 80 percent of people this works for why is it working for you well Mm. there's 20 percent that doesn't yeah you know and and so I, i think a big thing and i think why it takes us so long to train a doctor and and a lot of doctors are very uncomfortable um, because, you know, and the problem is you go to gastroenterologists, they're going to just look at everything, you know, and plus they're going to, like, it's like, how many gastroenterologists even recommend probiotics at this point? It's scary. Well, how many people you know? prescribe antibiotics and then don't prescribe probiotics? Yeah, with that, and know? I mean, and I really think for almost any specialty, I'm going to get some grief for this saying this, but <laughs> um, is that you could read the research, and oftentimes it's old research yeah. is better, it's actually stuff that, damn, that's a great treatment. It's cheap, but no one can make money on it. So, so it's been buried under yeah, piles of papers. Yeah. And you can do pretty much a better job, by, you know, mm. you know, surgery and stuff. Of course not. But so, you know, we have found we end up treating so many weird things that aren't just Lyme. And, and uh, you know, the one guy says, you know, I have macro degeneration. What can you do? Oh, here we, you know, I was at a conference and we, you know, you put stem cell drops. You need this supplement for that. And he's like, you know, wow. just so what, whatever it is, it's really passion to keep learning. And if someone comes in with something that I don't know, yeah. you know, generally, uh, you know, almost always I'm going to go, wait a minute. 
I need to figure out how, how to treat that. And I'm telling you, almost always, you'll find so many things that work better than the standard treatment. Yeah. And and your focus in treatment um, and, and what you're known for treating is fibromyalgia, chronic fatigue, or ME. Um, yeah, I, I think you have thyroid, hormones, yeah. uh, yeah, any chronic illness, anything Fine. weird. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 You know, well, the things that people uh, still have. In- neurologic diseases, traumatic mm-hmm. brain injury, which so comes. Yeah. So. So we, we do a lot of things, and um, and a lot of them tie together. And it's interesting yeah. how we learn in medicine every system separate. Mm. And I, but I hate the term holistic because it sounds too foofy, right? Yeah. If you tell someone you're a holistic doctor, there's a like, there's a fifty fifty oh, in the opposite what, direction. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, where's the incense? You know. Yes. <laughs> so I kind of I'll say that, but then I say, but we can be very aggressive. We'll do highest dose you know, antibiotics or whatever medication. Mm. Um, but it usually takes a multi-system treatment for some of these right. things. And, you know, the problem is you go, this doctor, he doesn't check anything other than whatever his specialty is. And then you put it all together. People will say, well, what if you don't find anything? I said, mm-hmm. well, it hasn't happened yet. Yeah. You know? And That's huge, too. Yeah. yeah. And some people will freak about the amount of blood that we get. Um, but especially myself, I love just getting... Like, Data. But, but actually... We pretty much have a very good idea. So even just if we look at the labs, we mm. can pick without talking to the patient, not mm. knowing anything about them. We can pretty much pick out who's going to be chronic fatigue syndrome, fibromyalgia, you know, chronic Lyme, uh, and how sick they are. Right. You know, about seventy percent of the time. But you know, you get, and I think what really did a big disservice, especially is fibromyalgia label and chronic fatigue syndrome, because it gave these doctors the license to go oh you got you got fibromyalgia oh here's lyrica and you know here's, this uh, here's an antidepressant yeah. and and well there's something that's causing it you look at the studies and there's thousands of studies showing all these things yeah and how many you know multi-system illness and i, I like it that they're more at least integrative doctor doctors talking multi-system illness and getting to the root cause yeah which is yeah. what you're doing. And and the thing is, the problem with the root cause is that everything becomes a vicious cycle. Mm. So you get, you know, let's say stress lowers your immune system. So let's say now you're more prone to get a chronic infection that goes, let's say, because I think a lot of, most people with Lyme probably don't ever have symptoms until mm. something else happens. So they get older, but then they start getting migraines and then, you know, they have mold in the house or mm-hmm. you know, stress is And a then killer. they think it's toxic mold, but it's actually yeah. Lyme. Yeah. And then, so that suppresses the pituitary which then suppresses all the hormones, but they look normal, you know, on tests. They get mitochondrial dysfunction, so now the brain doesn't work, and, mm. you know, the adrenals stop working, and the gut is immobile, so then you get SIBO. That causes more inflammation and leaky gut, which then brings in, you know, all these uh, big proteins, which cause all these allergies and mast cell activation. So you say, well, what's the cause? It almost doesn't matter because it's all you've got to you know, treat all of it yeah. yeah so if you just try to okay let's just go after well the root cause at some point was the infection mm. uh you go after that it just doesn't work very well because you're you're making everything else worse basically yeah. this episode is sponsored by ember wave the intelligent bracelet that helps control how you experience temperature i'm heat sensitive because of my hashimoto's and medications and this device has been a lifesaver Using patented technology, it cools or warms the temperature-sensitive skin on your wrist, creating a natural response in your body and mind that helps you thermally adjust in minutes. The Wave was selected by Time Magazine as one of 2018's best inventions. 
but because the technology is new, it can be pricey. So for those of you with mounting medical costs to consider, the team at Ember offer a payment plan in partnership with a firm. And because you also listen to Uninvisible, they're offering you $30 off. Go to emberlabs.com, that's E-M-B-R labs.com, enter code INVISIBLE at checkout, and experience personal thermal wellness on a whole new level with me. Well, one of the things I remember when I first started seeing Dr. Hunt here, she said to me, this is going to be the hardest year of your life, but after this year, things will look different. And she was absolutely right. Um, I'll never forget it because I was sitting in her office and she said it to me and my mom was sitting next to me and um, it was really hard because, you know, you spend a lot of time trying to figure out what's going on, but you eventually do have an answer and then you can target your treatment. And um, I think that's one of the huge differences with the treatment here is that because you are looking at the multi-system, because you're spending more time with patients, um, you know, which of course comes at a cost, right? But and, and, and that's the problem is that, you know, and other doctors, like, oh, they don't take insurance. And um, I mean, you can't, you can't mm. spend, I mean, I spend three to four hours with a patient, you know, because yeah. I get the sick of the sick. Um, but, but it's a balance and a lot, and it's expensive illnesses, chronic illnesses, because you have to treat so many different areas. And, yeah. and we'll, you know, we try to use as much insurance as we can and for labs, and usually that's pretty much covered, or certain medications, mm-hmm. but some won't be. They used to be, now, you know. It depends on a person's insurance, Yeah, it's, too, it's kind of yeah. a crapshoot. And, yeah. you know, okay, why did they deny that? Mm. You know, it's like, okay, they can't get out of bed without it, but it's not medically necessary. But they deny it because they can. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, not so medically necessary. But that's, I mean, that's the interesting thing, right? Like, you're you're bypassing the system by choosing not to participate in it. And I think um, in terms of health insurance and, and um, all that kind of thing. And, and I think that's where it's something that somebody without the means wouldn't be able to necessarily afford. It's also one way to bypass the system if you can find a way to raise the funds, you know. Yeah. Um, and that's, you know, so we started the nonprofit, the National Academy of Hypothyroidism, which was, you know, really designed to show doctors and patients and other people that the way we're practicing, you know, Diagnosis and treatment of thyroid disease, and it's rampant, and it's so safe and cheap and easy to fix so many people, you know, and say, here's, you know, 400 references, review articles published in major journals, you know, with all that, and, but, you know, it's always the funding tough, mm-hmm. because I would love to have a nonprofit and say, look, we're, you know, getting people better, and, yeah. you know, and there's a lot of organizations that, that are doing that. There are, yeah. And, and that's and, important that people know that they can look up resources yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah. And, and it's tough. I mean, it's a double whammy, too. A lot of these people can't work. Yeah. So they have no money, and, you know, it's like they want nothing more than than to, to be get well. better. And it's, it's And it's, it's not that tragic. people are I – th- I think also there's a misconception that a lot of people in the chronic illness world are lazy. Oh, <laughs> it's not totally. that. <laughs> yeah. And I think, or they're drug seekers. I'm telling yeah. you, that is so rare. But even the laziness thing, and I, I kind of, you know, with myself, and I think it's human nature. Mm. Humans seem to be empathetic five days, you know, a couple weeks, push it into a couple months. But mm. then after a while, it starts getting like, you know, you look fine. Why don't you just go exercise? You know, why don't you just eat better? And even my girlfriend, the nicest, oh my God, the most empathetic. We'll yeah. bring any animal in. You know, started <laughs> saying stuff like that. And I'm like, 
don't go there. Yeah, you know? yeah. Yeah. But it, it's it's human nature, and so yeah. these people that have a caretaker that cares and is and is patient and willing to listen. I mean, it's tough to find. You know, you I can't know. understand why there's so many divorces, and then it's you're on your own and stress. Yeah. And, you know, and and you know, trying to fight for. You know, government aid and yeah. insurance company. Yeah, you know, they just wear you down if you're sick. I mean, it's so hard to respond to an email. Yeah. You know, or, you know, whatever, Get write a check bed. or write something. Yeah, yeah, go to the store and you keep getting these letters like, what the heck is this? Or even I get my labs done. I'm like, why did I just get 10 bills? Right. And I don't it's know so what's confusing. what. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and that's one way to pull the wool over someone's eyes. Well, that's something I was going to ask you was. I mean, how many or what percentage of your patients would you um, estimate are coming in who are, are on some kind of government assistance because they can't work or they can't, you know, afford treatment? How often do you see that in your practice? Um, it's not uncommon. Yeah. And I used to do disability hearing, but it just, oh, it's so frustrating. It's hard. Uh, yeah. And a lot of times we found you can give so much evidence mm. and it doesn't matter. Yeah. They've made up their mind, and we had one patient who she was doing much better, but she had this big corporation and lost so much money because, and and she went in for disability, and I said, how'd it go? She goes, I think it went great. It was very short, mm. and the letter says, no, denied. If she's well enough to put nail polish on, she's well enough to work, you know? <sighs> That's really That was the same one with, with the Babesia. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. Well, and something else I was going to ask you that you, you brought up just a moment ago as well was about advocacy, that... You know, it sounds like when you got sick, um, you were acting as your own advocate because you were alone in school um, and, you know, went through a divorce and, and all of that that experience. Um, how often are you also seeing people like are people coming in, patients coming in on their own or are they bringing an advocate with them? Yeah, it's it's interesting. Like I've never heard of an advocate, you know, when mm. when. Uh, you know, even five years ago, hardly, you yeah. know, but, but much more and more you're seeing it because it's, it, it used to be, I remember when I was writing, you know, papers and books that you, know, you go down to the medical library yeah, and you have to go find the journal, look in the little card Dewey decimal system, try to find it, the book's not there, mm-hmm. copy it on the copier. And so it was very difficult to get information. And now we're bombarded with information. Yeah. And who do you believe? This person says this. And, you know, some people are very convincing and those are not the people I listen to. Mm. So it's very difficult. So you can see why more and more, you know, those advocacy programs are becoming, um, you know, much more important. We have a number of patients are like, hey, please have anyone call me. I've, you know, been through this. And, yeah. and we just brought Creating on. Community. Yeah. Mm. And we just brought on a, um, a therapist that mm. specializes in chronic illness. Oh, and, how wonderful. Yeah. So that's he's starting, really great. You know, he's starting next week and great, great guy. And, yeah. you know, even um, drug addiction and stuff, you know, mm-hmm. getting people this opiate thing is so mysterious managed but yeah uh, well i i wanted to ask you about that actually you know what is your take on the opioid crisis because it is something that is very widely publicized but is certainly not the only problem with the medical system yeah, right now yeah um and i imagine because you, you did mention before that you have patients who are coming in who are prescribed or over prescribed these highly addictive medications and maybe don't need them but need some kind of alternative therapy so yeah. how often are you seeing that in the practice as well yeah i mean the problem is with 
opiates and people looking from the outside, okay, anytime you give an opiate, you're either overdosing them or underdosing them. Mm-hmm. How do you know their pain? You don't know. Yeah. And I'm telling you, more times than not, we have people go, oh, I'm not in pain. Uh, I'm hardly taking it, you know. Mm-hmm. And But you got to do something else. Right. So they want people off of them. Well, what are you going to put them on? If they're in chronic yeah. pain. Yeah. Yeah. Or even with people on narcotics, we'll do stuff called ultra-low dose naltrexone, not mm. low-dose naltrexone. Which I'm on. I'm on LDN. <laughs> yeah. So you can't be on an opiate in general because you're, it's gonna, you go through withdrawals. Right. But tiny, tiny doses keep people from getting addictive, mm. uh, addicted and also getting tachyphylaxis, which means you know needing increased doses. So okay. intolerance does not mean addicted, you mm. know, because if you're using opiates at, at high dose, you're going to get tolerant. But actually, right. the tiny doses of naltrexone, um, tiny, tiny, uh, will keep that from escalating doses. We find people mm. lower. It's a Can- wonderful drug. It's wonderful that sort of, I mean, was it accidental that it was discovered that it... Yeah, it's like they found that base is used for, you know, people uh, on opiates so they can't use or even to prevent relapse of alcohol, but they found all the immune modulatory uh, mm. benefits at lower doses. Amazing. Or even like ketamine. We mm. all put people on ketamine IVs, oral ketamine, and it's great because it you know doesn't suppress the respiration or anything mm. like that. Works great for much better for neuropathic pain than opiates. Oh, wow. And they kind of And gives self- them some energy, I suppose. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And they and they and they self wean off the um uh, off the opiates. So That's you know, wonderful. you gotta do other things for the pain and things mm. like ozone and IVIG, I mean, you know, so many like IV therapies, oral therapies that work and sometimes mm. you go through a number of them, you know, to find what works and we'll treat a lot of treatment resistant depression and you know, we find mm. sometimes medications like that are for ALS work for this person. You know? Isn't that amazing? Yeah. I mean, so. and that's where you're really at the forefront because you're also willing to experiment and you have patients who, once you've gotten them on board with you, are also willing to give something a try. And I think also a lot of us come here because we've tried so many other things, yeah. you know. Yeah. And, and yeah. with this patient, he was so dedicated. I mean, he had electroshock. He had, oh, wow. you know, um, implanted electrodes in his mm. brain nothing was working so he was very up and he would also be able to to read like studies and go hey can we try this but so i was reading a study on als and which is lime yeah like wow. which until until proven otherwise i'm telling you parkinson's same it's all thing. the same symptoms yeah and mm. it, it's all and it's just just often different manifestation yeah and like ms and so mm. it's this als drug that's approved blocks glutamate which is which the is really excitatory <laughs> neurotoxin, you know. So, yeah. so and that also has to do with depression. So I said, mm. do you want to give this a try? And it's been the best thing that he's ever tried. And wow. he's been on hundreds of medications. Wow. And I, I'm also wondering, because um, one of the things that sort of came up earlier, um, you know, we're talking about these patients who come in who might be on disability insurance or, um, you know, struggling to be understood by their other practitioners. Have you had personal experiences, particularly because you're in medicine and you're, you know, confronted by other medical professionals on a a very consistent basis? Have you ever had situations where you've had to sort of justify how you were feeling and sort of explain to people like, no, I have chronic Lyme? Oh, oh, yeah. I remember being in the hospital and talking infectious disease. They knew Mm. me. They're like, 
we are not talking about your chronic so-called infection <laughs> or a member I, uh, with septic. I had no immune system. It was mm. just so bad. And then so I go and I hear the nurses talking out like they're going changing shifts and saying, well, this is the guy who has to have HIV, but he keeps coming up negative because my immune system was worse, so, yeah. was worse than an AIDS patient. Not just an HIV patient, worse than an AIDS patient. Wow. So it was just like... You and know, I, how great that you're here living, breathing, talking Yeah, now, it's like, yeah. You know? That's amazing. And, and yeah, it, my coagulation, it, it's funny. So we do a lot like low-dose heparin and fibrillic enzymes. There are so many patients have immune activation of coagulation. We find this goes along with Lyme, Babesia, especially with inflammation. Mm-hmm. And that's what... The, their blood so thick and wow. but if you and what so it, what it can do is lay down it lays down fibrin on the vessels so it's not a clot but it now is a barrier so basically nutrients can't get in hormones can't get in mm. oxygen that usually takes two seconds to get into the cells yeah. from the blood actually takes can take up to two minutes and the waste products can't get out so they're all toxic and um, it's like a drain that's all clogged yeah up. And yeah. so sometimes a little bit of heparin until you can you know, get it uh, under control mm. can all of a sudden things that didn't work before start working. Now, we had a uh, one of our lab techs that worked here. He ended up going to school to be an MP, and he was working in the ER at UCLA. Mm. And he just, heparin just made him feel so much better all the time. Mm. And so we hadn't seen him for a while, but so... He, he came in for some IV. He said, I want to get going on some treatment again. But he said he went into the ER and said, you know, I'm on this for heparin. He's like, what the hell is yeah. that? And the ER doctor says, oh, yeah, we see a lot of these Lyme patients like this. Yeah, let's up your heparin. And So someone was open to it. Yeah, I was like, oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> you know? It's like the heavens open. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so yeah. you know, it's it's interesting. Yeah, well, I mean, I think it's wonderful because you're you're not only um, continuing to be at the forefront of research in these conditions, but also to be educating and to be engaging in conversations with other medical professionals, whether or not they choose to believe you. You know, yeah. and it's a it's a tough position to be in, and you have to be brave about it. But you've managed to find a way through it, which is really yeah. I've also lucky. got a little definitely older, maybe a little wiser. Yeah. Where, uh, it's kind of like a political argument with a person that's like, you know, you're not, it, it, when it just starts getting like, kind of like, just, they're not listening. It doesn't mm-hmm. help. you know. Well, and I think that's a huge part of this chronic illness experience, right? It's patients who are often feeling like they're not listened to, um, doctors who may or may not be listening or maybe aren't listening in the right way. So I'm wondering how do you see with the way the medical system is structured right now, what needs to change for for the treatments that you're doing to be more widely accepted, for patients to be able to get more affordable prescriptions and care? Is it as simple as policy change? Or, I mean, where, where do you see well, the solution? I laid this out in a <laughs> eight-point program, that, you know. Ah. That, but I didn't put it up because people, like, they'll read the title, like, Healthcare Reform, and if, you know, oh, you're not for universal health care. Well, no, I actually am, but we're not going to get there by keeping the system and giving everyone insurance, you know. So it's more like open it up, be uh, uh, a much more much more free market, mm. but then just give the people money to decide. And if they don't use it, they can keep the money. Right. Guess what? They're not going to spend as much if they don't need it. They're going to shop around. Now it's so like, more like an HSA, you think? Um, more in that structure? Yeah, a little bit. And they've wrecked that, though. I mean, they, they mm. tend to wreck 
everything. It's almost like useless now. Like what? Yeah. And you can't get things approved on HSAs, and it's so such a small amount now. Well, do you and, think it's more of like maybe a policy change with regard to big pharma, so that we can actually shift uh, where the money yeah, trail is? And, and so it talks about that too. And, and yeah, but yeah, keep an open mind because people get a little. Yeah, well, that's yeah. the big thing, right, guys? Keep an open mind. Yeah. You know, yeah. because if you're still sick and you're not getting better, maybe go somewhere else for and treatment and maybe try some other avenues. It's real hard to get someone off. I mean, in, like, well, everyone's got to be insured. No, you don't need to be insured. You need to be able to afford care, have money to pay yeah. for care. And with insurance, the costs just skyrocket. Mm. All the bureaucracy, people looking at it, you know. Mm. If you're choosing then and you're going to save money or not you're going to make the right choice you know do you ever call the hospital and ask how much this is and which you hospital you're going to go to <laughs> and i remember i was asking uh i got some plasmapheresis treatment to kind of filter the blood you know mm. and so i went over to torrance Memorial and i said how much is plasmapheresis and mm. they said i don't know but we'll give you 80 percent off what? And yeah, and I'm like, okay. The more <laughs> Is I buy, this your the, cash yeah, rate? <laughs> yeah, the more I buy, the more you save. You know. Yeah. And it turned out, so you know, of course, okay, we got to tell me what that is. So, the cost after the eighty percent off was thirty thousand dollars a treatment. <gasps> oh my god. Yeah. So I mean, it's just how could they not give you eighty percent off? Yeah, exactly. I mean, it just should be ninety nine point nine percent. You know. So oh my it's, god. The whole system is crazy, and there is no free market in drugs. Mm. They're allowed to price control. I know. They're allowed to collude. Um, well, look at Martin Shkreli and, and these people who are now price gouging diabetes patients with their insulin. Yep. It's disgusting. Yep. And I'm telling you, these old meds that just cost nothing, they go, oh, we're bringing in generics. Generics just start price fixing as well. Mm. And they start going up so that now they're $5 less than the than the brand name. So it's really about having more of a watchdog or some kind yeah, of... Yeah, but it's kind of like in sending, you know, these packets out and studies showing like, look, at this is... Here's the different countries. Here's the models. Here's why this works. And we need to model after a country that works. But people have in their mind, you're either... Everyone's covered by insurance or they're not. Mm. And it's not that. It's, it's, not it's all the... That. Yeah, is that... These countries that cover everyone, again, they have so many mechanisms to lower cost that are free market. Mm. But everyone's going to pay because they can afford it. Yeah. You know, because it it costs, you know, one-tenth of, of what everything is. Do you, do you ever feel like you're in an echo chamber that, you know, you're educating other medical professionals about this and, and talking about it? But no matter how many – because I just think about the number of videos I've seen – on the internet and in my research, on Facebook even, that just sort of pop up as sponsored because they, Big Brother's watching and knows what I've been researching, you know, yeah, that scary, are just huh? about, oh, it's so scary, but that are just about the discrepancy in healthcare between what we've got here in the US and what they've got in Norway or what they've got in Sweden or, I mean, it's usually Scandinavia that's used as the example of something that's working, right? Yeah. Um, and yet, we're so deep into what we're doing here that we're unable to find pathways to reverse. Yeah. And, and again, it's used as political, well, you know, socialist. See how socialism works, you know. Yeah. And it's when you look at these countries where it's working. Again, it's they are more free market. Yeah. And and we're like kind of not even the worse than the mafia, like with in terms mm. of. But it's all collusion. It's everyone's yeah. included, all the politicians, yeah. and I think term limits would help. Mm-hmm. Um, and FDA is. 
owned by the drug companies. Yeah. You know, where are they getting all their money? You look at even the, you know, uh, the societies. Like, I I went and hired a private investigator to look at where the endocrine society gets their funding. Oh, interesting. And so years, and you came back with like, dude, you don't know how many layers of nonprofits they have that are funded and, you And know. end up in a bank account in the Bahamas. Yeah. And so, like, no wonder why. And this other um, guy I know is doing a very tiny pharmaceutical company and uh, coming out with the time release T3. Mm. And one of his great friends was was uh, a chief of staff at a major university. Yeah. And he goes, what do you think? Do you want to use this? He goes, I would totally use it, but I would lose my job because we're where I would lose my funding and, you know, and two, you can't get this stuff published in a journal because where does all the journals money come from? Uh, Big Pharma's ads. Because I was going to say, could you publish your own journal? But again, (laughs) yeah, same problem. Yeah. yeah. So it's, there's so many issues and that's why, you know, some of these senators are and Congress are setting back saying it's just so many it's so screwed up. Yeah. You know? Well, was, was that because I know you mentioned that you got a response from Paul Ryan, and he's very much at the center of a lot of this controversy. Yeah. Now did he I just take say it is that up and I can't he did it? not say it was made very clear that yeah. this is not his quote. So I'm not uh, quoting right. him. Oh yeah, yeah. But it's not the office. Of, yes, yeah, yeah, the office of, yeah. of Paul Ryan. But was he saying, oh, "Well, we're too far gone"? Yeah, and we can't. Yeah, basically saying, "Okay, yeah, start working on that. You have to good luck chip away." How many special interest groups that are all yeah. come after you? At least and, he was honest about it, though. Yeah, yeah. Which is interesting. <laughs> yeah, I I think a big problem is you know doctors are generally miserable. Yeah. And they've especially older ones. They you know they can actually make decisions to help the patient. Now everything is just documentation. Red and tape. and yeah, and they're spending so much time. Or now you go to the doctor. He was on the computer, and what was that? You know. Right. And uh, that face to face is gone. Isn't oh, it? and you don't have time to think about what you're going to do. You're just documenting. Mm-hmm. And oh, is this the oh, way the insurance? You know, insurance dictates so many. You know, everything. And and so they're just trying to follow that, and they kind of they're almost learned helplessness mm-hmm. in saying in in learning, where it's kind of like, well, I can't do anything different. So why should I learn? And you know? they're also overloaded with information. Like, I'm always amazed that people make it through medical school with their brains intact, you know, because the amount of information that you have to take on and memorize. And, and then See, is that's it also, the problem, though. They're memorizing. It, yeah. And they're, I, I can't believe some of these doctors, though. I'm like, don't, like, uh, you talk about a system. Well, okay, it's, there's, this is how this works. There's a physiology. Well, you got to apply it here mm-hmm. if you take this out instead of like well, what's the protocol if, oh if they have that disease you give this drug right and it's not you know that simple yeah and we see it so times are changing um yeah. and i think it's probably gonna get worse before it gets better unfortunately but there's a doctor site called sermon i used to go on it and there's like doctors there it, you can just palpate the misery mm. and so they're like how do i get out of this and it was, there's no way and they'll you know you used to post we'll just do something really well and you can get outside the system that's crazy mm. oh that's you know quackery or whatever and then it they just, just don't want to hear any yeah solution. yeah so they're just stuck and they feel there's no way out mm. and so they just put their head down and pull and and what if they could really connect to their patients and really help people get well and do what they plan to do in the first place. Yeah. 
yeah. about going back to, I mean, it's funny because you work on root causes with your patients, but at, which is also that multi-system, yeah. you know, situation where you're figuring out diagnostics, but it's also something where, you know, you're going to the root of why you became a doctor in the first place. Yeah. And the incentives are very different now because, you know, it used to be go out and, you know, hang your shingle up, which means you got to make sure patients like you. You know, mm-hmm. now almost 90% of doctors now are employed when they come out. Right. Uh, although they do have, they do care about what patients say because they get do get graded on you know patient satisfaction thing right but like on the, Yelp and yeah but, but they don't need to go over and above and actually you know mm. talk to you, you know? right. so it's you know kind of the expectation the bar is very low to say that was I uh, just you know love that doctor and, and the visit mm, um, that's true so it's nice we have so many people cry the first visit we haven't done anything they're like you believe me I'm like Yes, we do. You and know, isn't that wonderful? Yeah. You know that that you're providing that relief for those people because so many people in this world of chronic illness, particularly because people can't see it, they just don't believe it because they just don't understand it. And there are, are so many practitioners out there who may not have seen it, and so they don't believe it either. And, and they're also scared to like, oh my God, I'm in trouble for doing this. If they don't completely understand, wait, I heard that I shouldn't be doing this, you know. Yeah. And, and it's like the patients who cry, it's bad for me because I'm a crier. <laughs> <laughs> so you join in with them. Oh my gosh. So I'm like, okay, stop. <laughs> yeah. But and I'm sure it's, it's I mean, also very cathartic for all of you. Yeah, you know? no, it is. I mean, I even cry when they make a deal in Shark Tank. Comes to <laughs> you know? I have to say, when they do make a deal in Shark Tank, I get really happy for them yeah. too. Yeah. <laughs> so... Yeah. yeah, I'm like, please don't do that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but it's wonderful. And I mean, it's funny because she comes with me to all my appointments. So she's obviously very close with Dr. Hunt now, too. And I've had this happen in more than one appointment, not just with Dr. Hunt, but with a couple other doctors where my mom has cried. I've I've been fine. I've had my myself together. And my mom has just gone. It's just so wonderful that they believe you, you know, and she's been the one crying. Wow. She's been the wow. one that I've turned to. After the failure, after failure, after failure with different practitioners. And when I find the ones who do listen and who are invested in my health. Um, I don't think that makes yeah. you feel like everyone says I have nothing. What I feel like that, then you start believing it. Yeah. Because everyone and then even if significant other and so-called friends, mm-hmm. you know, saying, oh, it's just they got this problem or they want to be sick or... and Nobody they, wants then, to be sick, guys. Yeah. <laughs> and, and then you just lose all your friends, all your support. You yeah. Know? And I, I think that's, and, that happens to a lot of people. And certainly with me, I, I've been very lucky because I reached out to my friends early on with it. Like, it only took me about four months to get wise to myself and tell my friends that I needed... And they're like, support, why, you know? why didn't you call me back, you know? And none of them have done yeah. that to me, I have to say. I've been that's, very That's fortunate. nice. And, you know, yeah. some these support groups can be very good, but mm. there's some that just get very negative. Well, I think and that I think I've, that, had, I've had another um, person on the podcast call it symptom porn, that, like, people go on some of these, you know, Facebook groups and stuff, and where there's wonderful community support, there's also a lot of people being like, I've got this and this and this and this and you've got that and that and that and that and it it just sort of it's an echo chamber of negativity yeah. in that way um, and never about solutions. Yeah. Um, so to find the groups that have that yeah. offer those solutions. Yeah. But it's easy to get in that. Right. It's yeah. just like I feel horrible. No one listens to me. I, I just want to. Yeah. I'll tell some people. It's so yeah. easy to get there, and especially yeah. if you don't have mental health assistance as well. So that's wonderful that you guys are getting a therapist on staff because that's it's so important. 
And I don't think everyone recognizes that they need that additional support in the chronic illness world. And yeah, well, because then they it it makes them get in that realm. See, I am crazy. I'm going to a therapist. Mm-hmm. Like, who doesn't need a therapist? Everyone's, Everyone everyone's crazy. Like, I you know, know, look, I know we're in yeah. LA and we're yeah. telling people that therapy is good for them. But like, I'm a firm believer that everyone should try it once. Just yeah. try it once. Yeah, you got to find the right person too. Yeah. But everyone has issues that they need to discuss and mm-hmm. look at someone else's viewpoint. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, and and also a neutral viewpoint. Yeah. Outside of your group of friends or family, you know, because they've already made the decisions. Mm. You know. Yes, very true. And they have their judgments and their things that they want from you, and you yeah. know. But a, a therapist is an outside source of information. And also with an expertise in understanding the way that the mind works, because it's such a complex and innately flawed creature. Yes, <laughs> that's for sure. Now, I'm also um, wondering, because a lot of patients will come to you um, and come to Holtorf Medical um, and have to make some lifestyle changes, um, you know, whether it's diet or exercise, which, of course... Our, our empathetic friends will always be happy to recommend to yes, us. Yes, yes. Or, you know, whether it's sort of a schedule in which they take their medications, etc. How strict do you find that people with chronic illness, and of course this is a very general question because these illnesses affect everyone in so many different ways, but how strict do they have to be about those lifestyle changes, you know? That's a, a good question. And a lot of our doctors here are very strict with their mm-hmm. lifestyle and very They're healthy. They're walking the walk. And I don't talk much to patients about what they need to do because I don't want to be a hypocrite. Right. I am, I probably don't know if I shouldn't be saying this, but. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to tell us you okay, this, is fake, this is fake. <laughs> no, <laughs> I mean, you know, they laugh because I'm having Skittles for breakfast. Right. And I, I do work out religiously. Right. I go every four months for eight minutes. That's about how often I do as well. Yeah. So, <laughs> and even then, I hate the eight minutes, you know. Yeah. So, um, I, I, you know, people will get that elsewhere. I, For me to spend my time on that, mm. there are so many great resources and, you know, health coach, nutritionists, there's mm-hmm. books that, and I'm like, I can't tell you to do that one. But choose I, what I works did. for you, maybe. Yeah. And, yeah. yeah. I mean, I think it, it definitely, those things, and so many small things can help. Mm-hmm. And so I certainly, I need to change myself. I'm working on it and talking to our nutritionist here. It's an ongoing process. Yeah. So I'm it? like, you know, can you, um, you know, I don't like that diet. <laughs> I have yeah. this. Can no, I still you have can't. A burger? Yeah. 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 So I struggle with it more than anyone but um but i think that's really good to hear because i think it's a very human connection that you then have to your patients in that way because so many of us go to the doctor and the doctor says you must do this you know and you're looking at patients as whole people in this crazy world we live in yeah and saying you gotta live your life that's exactly been my response i was like can i have a glass of wine like you gotta live you know yeah and don't deny yourself things that give you pleasure as well right especially if you're someone who Really yeah, needs to like have you those moments. May not live longer, but it's going to feel like it. You know, yes. because like every day is like you know. Absolutely. So we've covered so much in the interview today, and I I like to wrap up the interviews with some top three lists. Uh oh. So in terms of these top three lists, you're answering them both as a practitioner and as a patient. Okay. Right. So um, the top three. Uh, my first one is, what are your top three tips for someone who suspects? They may have something going on health-wise and are seeking wellness. You, know, you really have to want 
to find out mm. what's going on. And I think people always feel terrible, you know, and won't go, well, my doctor says everything's fine, mm. you know, and uh, and not take an active role in their health. And, and nowadays, you have to. Mm. You know, I say, look, at check everything I say, question me, que- you know, bring back other people's comments and mm. um, happy to answer, answer them. And I think everyone a doctor doesn't do that again. You know, and be wary. And yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, nothing works for everyone. And people, they go online, and which I think is great, going a lot of great information. Mm. But, you know, oh, take this, you know, oh my God, a miracle. Well, we'll usually try it if we hear something good. Our patient brings it. We learn from our patients all the time. Mm. Oh my God, I did this, and we'll try it. But then we play percentages and say, okay, how many people got better, and how much better, and how safe, you know, doing all the risk benefit. Mm. But, um, yeah, finding a doctor that will sit down with you and um, and actually listen. And take and, time. And not cut you off before you mm-hmm. can. And another study, yeah, they're showing that when a patient starts talking, doctors now will cut them off after nine seconds. What? Yeah, that's the average. I would think it would actually be shorter when I really think about it. Yeah. <laughs> they probably gave him a break. Like they knew they were being timed. Like, yeah. I'm gonna. Yeah. It might be more like three seconds in my experience. But. Yeah, and yeah. so I, wow. I'm sure it is. So when they suspect, and it's kind of t- yeah, I, I find someone who really specializes in getting to the bottom of it, mm-hmm. and you know, you can go to those standard doctors first and hear what they have to say, and if it works, all the power to you. I mean, that's yeah. that's awesome. And they're obviously getting people well, some people well, but there's if the big thing, if you don't fit in a box, mm. then that's where standard medicine falls apart. Yeah. And I think the more diagnoses you have, mm. the more likely it's something underlying it. Right. You know, and said, well, yeah, it's funny. You know, my doctor says, no, I don't have that. Okay. What he's, what he's saying is that you have 46 diagnoses that have nothing to do with each other mm. you know how about odds here yeah and uh and yeah really find someone who who will listen mm. um it's and hard dig, you want dig for the answers yeah right? yeah yeah i think that's really great advice um and i mean obviously you've also had to make certain lifestyle changes and and take on certain treatments yourself for your own health what tips would or, or not even tips, I would say, but what um, what indulgences or cheats do you allow yourself? Oh, I take the fifth on that one. <laughs> <laughs> we sort of went there. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm not perfect by any yeah. means. And I think, you know, I can lose some weight, I can work out more, I know I'd feel better, but I'll start, you know, I'll be here until midnight, and then, you know, yeah. so it's... It's kind of, you want to follow your passion. I need balance in my life. Mm-hmm. I, I don't currently have great balance. So ah. so I'm I'm struggling with that. And mm-hmm. uh, Do you see a pathway to, to finding work-life balance in there? Yeah, but it's it's funny. It always, and I'm also I think you. too is, is big, is don't take everything so seriously. Okay, mm-hmm. you're sick and it's so hard and you're temper short oh my god people are gonna irritate the hell out of you for like yeah you know stop sitting there and breathing in and out (laughs) you know it's just like oh leave me alone you know (laughs) or the phone rings and that but i think 
even more importantly, like be able to laugh at yourself and don't take yourself too seriously. Yeah. And That's come up a few times, but it's one of the rarer answers about finding yeah, a sense of humor. And I think there's a lot of manufactured outrage right now mm-hmm. is that if someone disagrees or says something, I'm outraged, you know. Well, it's because that's what we see people on the news doing, right? Yeah. They just yell at each other. Yeah. Yeah. And just say, look, and, you know, there's very many different truths. It matters where you've come from, how you look at it and different context and mm. and that i think it's more just be happy you know i think yeah. that's that's the goal yeah and so i don't think you can be happy by being angry all the time mm. um even but it's very hard i mean it's like you know coming from i feel good now which i feel guilty you know because i mean it's like isn't that you say i can imagine someone not a lot of people are sitting there like I feel like crap, and he's saying being happy, you know? Yeah, right. And, and it can uh, come across as sounding condescending, but you've also been in the deepest depths of it, yeah, too. Yeah, and it's not discounting uh, how sick people are. People are so much sicker than even their loved ones know, even the doctor knows. Mm. It's it's the most horrible thing ever, you know? It, yeah. It's like something would never wish on worst enemy. Yeah. And the problem is... You know, I looked sick, which I guess that was a blessing, right? Well, you don't um, now. No, <laughs> well, thank you. But some of you look great. You're like, oh, yeah, okay, yeah, you're straight, you know. And that's, you got to learn that that's human nature. Mm-hmm. And they don't mean to be mean or when they say, oh, why don't you just go exercise or something. They're, they're trying to help in their own, yeah. you know, it's kind of like out of ignorance or uh, I'm not a really religious person, but what is it, you know? God or you know whatever they don't know what they do what, what right. they don't know what they've done we know, you know not so, what we we do or something yeah. like that I'm not religious yeah, so I'm the we wrong person to yeah. scripture but well, probably bad time <laughs> I know <laughs> hey cut that out yeah. uh, <laughs> that but you would. get the gist yes yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah and and people don't know and people are on a different path so it's and, about practicing forgiveness for yeah. those people and patience I suppose yeah. right and forgive yourself and mm-hmm. and forgive others yeah, yeah. Yeah, holding grudges or I think will kill you. Yeah, well, that that'll only make you sicker. Yeah, it's not going to do anything to the other person, is it? Yeah, yeah. Well, Doctor Holtorf, thank you so much. Well, thank you. It's Uh, been such a pleasure having you. It's gone by so so fast. I know we've covered so much. I think this is such a dense episode, and I'm really looking forward to getting it out there. Awesome. Yeah, it was a pleasure. Thank you for having me. it folks thanks for listening as always please check us out online at uninvisiblepod.com and all over the social media world at uninvisiblepod we love your feedback and suggestions so please drop us a line via the website if you have questions ideas for topics to cover in future episodes or just want to say hello we're all about relationships and collaboration here so credit where credit is due music for this episode is by sean hart who can be found at seanhart.com Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen to podcasts.